You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Okay, how's it going? You nodded at me and I thought I was supposed to talk, but then you talked. Oh, yeah. It's a pleasant surprise. I didn't, I don't even know if I intentionally nodded. I think I just did it. You just did it? I'm just trying to give some positive reinforcement. A friendly Thursday morning nod. We all need that once there in a while. There you go. Sharing our schedule with people. Okay. This Again. is completely unrelated <laughs> to anything. No, actually, it may work its way oh, my. back to the discussion in a very roundabout way. Okay. Have you seen the trailer for the movie Unhinged? No, no, I think it just released like a couple days ago. I didn't know about it. I didn't know about it either. Apparently, it's a psychological thriller, oh, which I'm into, right? I'm in. But the premise is some lady... Apparently, she's in traffic, and there's this guy sitting in his truck. It's Russell Crowe, by the way. Oh, like, nice. a very large Russell Crowe. Large as in like what large? Like, like dad bod okay. in his mid-50s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. Okay, cool. And she, uh, he, he's at a stoplight, and the light turns green, and he doesn't go. And this lady behind him is like, come on, go. Oh, no. And, and she waits and waits, and finally she honks her horn and, like, goes around him, <laughs> as one would. Yeah. And the whole rest of the movie, apparently, is him seeking to get revenge because he lets this road rage get out of control. It, it looks nuts. If it's not cheesy, I will be happy to see it. Yeah. I, I, I mean, here's the thing. I wouldn't mess with Russell Crowe in any no. in any shape. Ever. Have you it seen matter anything he's he ever is. been in? <laughs> yeah. I will never mess with him. <laughs> I just want to be I want to be friends with him. Yes. But you. we were talking about the nod, and that's what made me think of it, because there's <laughs> some scene in the trailer that's like this very menacing nod. It's like, woof. Oh, anyway. Wow. Road rage, wow. cars, death, etc. Looks interesting. So you know what's kind of connected to that because hmm. you know I feel like there's there's some illegal enterprise in yes. that. You know what I mean? It's probably a little bit. It's probably not going to lead anywhere law abiding. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, as it happens, as you may expect, a couple of nights ago, I was falling asleep listening to some unsolved crime cases, like everyone. <laughs> Because <laughs> yeah. most people definitely do that. Yeah, that's totally... that gives them a good night's sleep. Yes, yes. Don't don't judge me. <laughs> this was mild, by the way, too. It was like this isn't going to get grisly this morning anyway. <laughs> not this morning. Um, but I'm also going to try exceptionally hard to not completely commandeer this podcast uh, and focus in on on what's really important. The key plot point in this little story is that it's a little throwaway detail. This tiny little thing, right? Mm-hmm. In the classic Escape from Alcatraz. Ah, oh, yes. Um, the, re- the real Escape from Alcatraz, not the <laughs> equally classic Clint Eastwood film. Of course, no, not that. <laughs> I think that's what it's called, right? That's what it's called? I it's think been, so. I remember, like, that's one of my earliest movie memories, actually. Ah, of course, it's Clint Eastwood. I feel like he's always in the early memories. <laughs> True. But, like, basically, in this in this uh, real-life scenario, somebody is on their deathbed and, like, reassuring, like, the, the next of kin that the Anglin brothers, like, the, the pivotal Anglin brothers who made their escape with some other schmuck, um, <laughs> that, they, that they successfully escaped and that they're alive and well. And basically, he's like, hey, you're such and such, however they're related. Hey, they're, they made it out all right. You know, I guess that they're on the lam, but they're in hiding and, and they're alive. Yeah. The um, thing is, though, this is famously unsolved. There is no evidence. Hence listening to an unsolved crime case. Exactly. There's no solid evidence that they made it out of life. They made it out of the building, but it's fairly safe to guess that they could have died. Uh, yeah. They could have gotten lost in the icy waters. Or yeah. that they made Could have been out. shot and then... Exactly. There's so many possibilities that nothing is certain. But here, he's telling them, oh, they made it out. So, yeah, okay, 
you know, whatever. But I, as I love these theories, right? It's yeah. fun. It's fun. It's I. You want to think that they did, yeah. But there's because I mean, it's like there's something about like rooting for the underdog. They went through the criminal so much. underdogs. I, yeah, but they like chiseled through the wall. It's amazing. It's kind of Monte Cristo oh, stuff. It's incredible. So you know, nothing but theories, right? And yet he's telling them. So does it? mean he just lied to them on his deathbed? Was it this tiny little, you know, deceit to offer an equally small amount of hope? I don't know, because if that's the case, his very last act on this earth was to lie to them for the sake of solace. Going to hell! (laughs) (laughs) It just, it's, I, and it's something I've never thought of before. I've easily listened to this uh, like three dozen times, but all of a sudden, this was throwing me back to those questions of my childhood that you comically referenced. Um, Like the idea of sin and forgiveness, uh, you know, when they were fresh concepts and I wanted to know all of the parameters. I want to know all of the rules. I need to know how to play this game. Um, So, you know, the question in this case being what what are the economics of sin and in the time of your death? Ah, uh, yes. Like, I don't have any assumption that there are some mysterious strings attached to Christ's forgiveness. Uh, and yet from minute one in Christianity, we stress the need to ask forgiveness, mm-hmm. to confess with your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. This is kind of a classic dilemma. I mean, it's the, you know, if I say a cuss word while I'm flying through the air after a car accident and I die upon hitting <laughs> the asphalt, will I go to hell dilemma? <laughs> You know, or at yes. least that's how I always specifically framed it in my mind. Like, that was actually specifically a lot of my hang, fear a lot as of a child. Time in the air. Yeah. And it's just wow. thinking, like, yeah, like, I mean, it just, what, what if it just slips out and then pff, I'm I'm done for it, right? Like, sure. my salvation is forfeit <laughs> because oh, of that moment. Um, so, anyway, I think that's basically the same question you're posing there. Like, what happens, basically, if I sin and die simultaneously, right? Like, is my goose cooked? Yeah, I guess. It's like, it's the same question I had probably when I was four. Yeah. And here, and I forgot, I just, I guess I just never thought about it again. Yeah, like, oh yeah, no. (laughs) This isn't something that normally happens to people. (laughs) But like, all these years later, I'm like, huh, yeah, I don't have a definition for this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My gut wants to say, uh, look, we're not perfect. Uh, Mm -hmm. We all make mistakes. We all sin. I will not make it to the end of this week blameless. Right. And I want to say that I'm, you know, covered and forgiven. Uh, And even other things that I do not know if anything about the Ten Commandments series has brought light. (laughs) Well, there's a lot I didn't realize. Um, But, you know, and that and like six dozen worship songs that talk about how nothing can separate us. (laughs) I like those songs. They make me feel very good. Just six dozen. That was a very specific. I like that. (laughs) That made me laugh. (laughs) But like the minute you say the words unconfessed sin... I'm going to start squirming because <laughs> I'm not really certain how the rules apply. I don't yeah. I don't know where to put that puzzle piece, and I wouldn't have had to explain it to someone even all these years later. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a, a very good and fair question, and a scripture it's does— Fairly dumb is what you're trying no, to say. No, no, no. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> they have a dumb question. Like, well, that's a stupid question, Ethan. Come on, clearly everybody knows this. This is taught in Christianity 101. No, I think a lot of people are still very— it is a perplexing question, mm. you know, and I think it it's asked from a good heart. Like there's this heart that wants to know, like, am I forgiven? And yeah. like, I want to be forgiven and I don't want to have unconfessed sin. Right. right you know, exactly. so uh, scripture does have some things to say about that. And I think the first thing to establish is what you've already alluded to, which is first and foremost, that we do need to ask for forgiveness. Right. I mean, that's that's baseline. Yeah. Right. Romans 10, 9 through 10 famously says, 
If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So you've got belief in the heart that Jesus is who he says he is, which means that you are, um, which means that you are unashamed to say that and that you agree with what he says, teaches, and does, which includes the need to be forgiven of sin in order to be reunited with God. And part of confessing Christ is that you are saying, yes, I am in sin and I need your purifying grace to cleanse me and forgive me of my right, sin. Yeah. So that happens at the moment you put your faith in Jesus. Like it's a once and for all deal. You're covered. Yes, your sins are forgiven. You are you are covered, washed in the blood as the song goes. Are you washed <laughs> in the blood? Something, something, never yeah. separate us. Yeah, that's it. But let me sort of flip all of this on its head and talk about a specific example of something that happened in the Bible that more or less addresses this specific topic head on of like simultaneous death and sin. The Anglin brothers escaped from prison? That's yes, this one. The scriptures <laughs> prophesied it. Uh, no, in 1 Corinthians 11, there's a pretty well-known passage that talks about communion, the Lord's Supper. Okay. And what's happening there, if you know the passage, is that Paul is reprimanding the Corinthian church for some pretty egregious abuses of the sacrament. Uh, people were getting drunk on the wine. They were neglecting the poor members of the church during the supper. And apparently this is the habit of the Corinthians. Okay. They, were, they were doing this a lot, nice. just really desecrating the thing. And so what Paul says is very bleak and dire. He says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Man. Yeah, that's bad. So you want to talk about committing sin. Here, Paul is saying that if you treat the sacrament of communion improperly in a cavalier way, not realizing that Jesus is with us as the host of this meal in a unique way by faith, you are guilty concerning his body and blood. You are treating the crucifixion as a cavalier thing and Christ's hosting presence as a meh thing. As if like, yeah, he's like, ah, oh, who cares? Like the, the, the gravity of that is, is a lot scarier than lying for comfort. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, I know it's not like sin is on a metric system. Right. But that is frightening. Yeah, yeah. And you're right. It's not like sin is on a metric system, but like there are more gratuitous consequences for murder, exactly, say, than, exactly. you know, being better towards someone, even though those both condemn you in the eyes of God. Yes. So Paul goes on to say, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, that is the body of Christ, eats and drinks judgment on himself. <laughs> that is why... Many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Oh, my goodness. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Whoa. Oh. Yes. That's a so, little, that threw me for a loop at the end. Yeah, yeah. So what was happening is that the result of this particular sin in the church at Corinth, okay? Yeah. This doesn't always happen, but what was specifically happening here was that some, because they were abusing the sacrament, some people were getting weak, some were getting sick. And some were dying. 
Then dying, okay? So what Paul was trying to do is sound a warning, saying don't treat communion or the Lord's presence lightly. Like you're you're desecrating worship. Yeah, uh, you're very, very Yeah, you're neglecting the poorer members of your congregation in the midst of this. I mean, that's, that's a theme you see in scripture is that like when worship is so willfully desecrated, yes. there are consequences for that. So Paul is sounding a warning here. And don't let that get in the way of remembering that Christ is the most approachable person in the universe. Sure. Okay, he's the most, absolutely the most approachable and gracious person in the entire universe. But he's not to be taken cavalierly, right? So what Paul is saying is if we examine ourselves honestly, or as Paul would say, we judge ourselves truly, and we get honest about our sins, and we ask forgiveness, and we seek reconciliation with those we've wronged, if we partake in communion worthily, then God won't have to so discipline us in the same manner that he did the Corinthians, which, okay, we've gotten this far. And you may be thinking now, what does all this have to do with the original question? (laughs) Well, I think this next verse gets us something to an answer. Okay. All right. And this is absolutely remarkable to me. Just astonishing. Here's what Paul says. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Now, that is remarkable because when he says when we are judged by the Lord, he's referring to the judgments of weakness, sickness. Even death. And death, right? And so what Paul is astonishingly saying here is that the judgment that the Corinthians were specifically enduring in this context of weakness, sickness, and in some cases death were not punishments in the sense of God pouring out wrath upon believers, right? Because Paul actually says in 1 Thessalonians, God is not destined believers for wrath. But rather, these disciplines were meant to keep the Corinthian Christians from further sin from further egregious sin that would separate them and condemn them along with the world. Is that like a form of penance? So when you're thinking about penance, and I, I want to try to do justice to my Roman Catholic cousins. I don't want to like, you know, throw them under the bus unnecessarily. But the idea of penance would be like, you know, you would commit a sin. You would go to the priest. You would confess that sin. And you'd say, all right, you've confessed your sin, but now you need to go do such and such. Yeah, X, Y, or Z. Like, go say your 10 Hail Marys yeah. and go, you know, do these things. So that you're kind of atoning for your own sin. Oh, okay. Which is not what was happening here. Uh, what was happening here was that death, in a strange way, because we just don't think in these terms, but death was a mercy to these Christians that kept them from actually being condemned. So it wasn't like, oh, you're going to perform penance. You know, like, oh, you committed these terrible sins. Well, I'm going to really, you know... You're going to have to atone for your own sin, and then you'll be okay. It was like, no, like, I'm going to keep you from being condemned and bring you straight home to me. Like, we got to— So they were, they, were, they were killed to spare them from further sin. Yes. That is so extreme. Yeah. Like, the stakes are very, very high. Yes. But in this case, of course, it preserved them from the fires of hell. And— Do we—okay, do, oh, and this was not intended no, to ask— yeah. Does that mean that they, in this particular moment, those who were taken, literally, like, they died, mm-hmm. does that mean, is the assumption that they were repentant, or God was like, I'm just going to stop this now? As far as we can tell from the text, it's, I'm just going to stop oh, this Oh, oh, that now. Cha- that, oh, that is, yeah. some implications then. Yeah, and so, in this case, on the heels of sin, right? This is happening on the heels of sin. Yeah. Death preserved people from the fires of hell. And I do want to clarify because we we are in an age where we need to really make sure we do that because these things can be taken very quickly out of context and spread wildfires. It's not as if every specific sin we commit always leads to death or sickness or weakness. Like if you are sick that does not necessarily mean God is disciplining you for a specific sin, okay? Yeah. It 
could be. That's a possibility, but that no one knows that. Like I can't know and look at you and say, "Oh yeah, that's what God is doing." Like yeah. that's. I mean this this was very specific intervention of a yes. very like intense. This isn't. This yes. is not like necessarily a casual intervention. Right, and you have the apostle Paul, who is an apostolic authority commissioned by God to directly you know, yeah, to like, actually tell them what's going on. Yes, exactly. And also remember, as always, Jesus's words about the blind man in the gospel of John, when the disciples ask Jesus, hey, is this man born blind because of his sin or his parents' sin? Jesus said, no, his blindness is not a result of any particular sin. It's so that God might reveal his glory through the restoration of this blind man's sight. So all that is to say, here's what I'm trying to drive at here. Okay. And you may encounter people who interpret that text a little differently. Um, I, I think you're kind it. of hard pressed on that. <laughs> yeah. But but if you are a Christian, the point is you are truly justified by faith in Jesus. Your sins have been wiped away by the once and for all sacrifice of Christ on the cross. If you happen to die on the heels of a lie, that would affect your judgment before the judgment seat of Christ, which is what we talked about in a recent episode, but not your salvation. Because stop and think about that for just a second. That really is actually, I think, salvation by works, right? Like you're saying like, oh, yeah. It's like, up to you to stay on top yeah, of it. Yeah, it's up to you to stay on top of your salvation. Like, That's and a if, good point because it seems, I mean, it's basically impossible. Yeah. Like and, how, how many things do you not even know that you're guilty of? Yes, I know. I know. I commit sins of omission yeah, every exactly. day. I mean, you want to talk about bad. James said if someone knows the right thing to do and does not do the right thing, that is a sin. Yeah. Uh, we're yeah, doomed. Like, exactly. if that's like, yes, like, you will die having done in that day, probably not done, rather, good things that Any you should have done. things, exactly. Yeah, and so, like, at that point, it is, like, that. that is just salvation by works again. So when your faith is truly in Jesus, your sins are covered once and for all. You, you are forgiven. And like I said, if you're, like, dying on the heels of a lie, like, those Corinthians were probably going to have... Have some, something to, to... The judgment seat of Christ was not going to be very pleasant for them yeah, at all. Um, yeah. But they would be... As Paul would say, they were saved, though as through fire. Like their rewards may have been oh, zilch. Oh, okay, right? yeah. I see. And I don't, I don't know if I was super clear on that distinction. Maybe even until recently, I, I, I think I'd always just conflated judgment and salvation, like all in this particular singular event. Yeah, and I think like most of church history was good about delineating that. And then in recent years, when we kind of conflate, we've conflated things. It's like, you know, you put your trust in Jesus, you die and go to heaven. Yippee. And it's like, there is, <laughs> oh, there's so much more to like yeah. God's like, work in the world and what's going to happen. In that episode recently, I, I I remember saying like, the one we know is the scary judgment. Yes. Not this other like <laughs> kind of nice judgment. Like what? Yeah. Now, with what little time we have left, that, of course, does raise a separate but related question, which is why do we have to keep confessing our sins if all this is true? Yeah, exactly. It right? feels like this is the setup to a, like a bankrupt loophole. Like, right. Should we sin more so that grace might increase? It's like, <laughs> yeah, right. I think there could be a problem. Yeah, which is exactly, you know, you read the letter of Romans and you see that through and through. Like, yeah. Paul is making that argument that <laughs> you have been justified, you are cleansed, forgiven. Right. And then he gets to Romans, I think it's six there, and he's like, there are some who slanderously say, so should we sin that grace may abound? And then he like basically pronounces anathema upon him. He's like Whoa. such fools, you know. Yeah. So biblically speaking, then, even though we are justified, truly justified, the reality is, is as we have just talked about, and as we all know, we still do sin while we're on earth. Like, it's not like we put our faith in Jesus and justification means perfection. We're going to fail to do what we ought to do, and we're going to do things that we ought not do exactly. the rest of our days. Even Paul said that. That's Philippians 3. I am not saying I have attained perfection. 
Far from it. I just keep pressing forward. So more to the point, John says in his first letter, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And he's writing to Christians, his beloved children is what he calls them. So the thing about it is, is that the Christian, if you are truly justified and you understand who God is and what Jesus has done for you and how the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, you do hate your sin. Like you are, you are grieved by the reality of sin. It's not like a, oh yeah, sin, that's no big deal anymore. God's forgiven me my sin. It's like you see what Jesus had to endure for your sin and you see the effects it has on your loved ones. Like my sin and I think this is something else that we're not always super clear on is that like, my sin isn't just just between me and God, though it is. And that's the most devastating relationship destroying thing. But I mean, your sin, even your private sins can have massive effects on your family, your friends, neighbors, your community. Absolutely. All this thing that should like if that doesn't break your heart when you see how like if if my heart is not broken by the ways that my selfishness affects my daughter and my wife. Exactly. Like, especially the ones you hold most dear. Yeah. Like that, there's something wrong. Like you probably actually aren't justified. (laughs) Like you don't have a full understanding of what your sin is. And so in that grief, we have to be able to do something with that. Like we can't just live with that. Like knowing that like, oh yeah, we're justified and God has cleansed us, but we continue to wrestle with what theologians call indwelling sin. We have to go somewhere with that. And what God says is come to me, like just be honest about it. Confess that sin and I will repeat that word of forgiveness to you, which huh. I actually think that, um, to come back to my Roman Catholic cousins and various other traditions like in Lutheranism and traditions like that. One thing they do very well is that when they talk about confession and like, let's say you go to the priest, I don't think that it's like a law that you should have to go to a priest, but that's beside the point. We can get into that theology later. The point is, is that that person will look you in the eye and say, God has forgiven you your sins in Christ Jesus. Like, there is something about hearing that again. Yeah, and like because you know it. That. Yeah, but like when, in fact, I was talking with someone in my office the other day, and they said that I said something to that effect, and they're like, "It's different to hear that from the mouth of somebody." Oh wow! Like as you know, because like it's, God works through people like us. Like of that's course. how He does these yeah. kinds of things. You know, like, He does it in the scriptures, and He does it through the words of His people. So all that is to say is that we find that restored joy and that repeated word of forgiveness when we confess our sins. And of course, with our neighbors, our family, our friends, like, of course, we have to go to them and in order to reconcile that relationship. Right. Like, I mean, Jesus said that. And he's like, when your brother sins, you go to them, you talk about the wrong and you go about reconciling the relationship that way. That's just how, especially human human relationships are restored. So that doesn't change again. Like if you're truly justified, these things don't change that reality. But as Paul would say, godly grief leads to repentance without regret. Mm -hmm. So to to loop all this back around, as Jesus also said, you will know them by their fruits. So if you do claim to follow Christ, but nothing in your life has really changed. And like, I mean, you habitually lie, you steal, you brunt wrath against others. You know, you're, you're constantly, I don't know, cheating your expense reports. I don't know. I mean, things like that. You know, I mean, that's a different quandary. I would echo Paul and say, you might want to test yourself to see whether you're really in the faith. Like, did you like, did you really profess Jesus? Like, do you really understand who he is and what sin is and all those things? Because like I said, yeah, we continue to wrestle with indwelling sin, but there's a grief for it. And that's why we continue to confess it. And we secure and enjoy those benefits and the repeated word of forgiveness and all that stuff. Yeah. So if you happen to, um, you know, be in a car accident uh, right after an argument and you die, I, if you're really justified, you're fine. It's not like you're going to go to hell because you're not saved by your own works. 
you know, that might, that'll affect your judgment before the judgment seat of Christ as all these things will, but like, you're not going to lose your salvation. God's like, wow, you did really great up until the last 10 seconds. Last like 10 if seconds. you just hadn't mm, had died like 10 seconds before. But those are the rules. Yep. <laughs> that's like, man, yeah, we'd all be doomed. So anyway, hopefully that's comforting and yeah, <sighs> helpful. So, so anyway, if you all have any questions, comments, mm. if you have like any that, theories about how the Anglin brothers survived. Yeah. <laughs> shoot us an email I'm, I'm happy to hear them yeah podcast at horizonschurch.net or you can find us on social media and interact with us there and if you were helped you can leave us an honest five star review oh yeah it's only kind of honest oh yep, only kind of five <laughs> thanks as always for listening and we'll catch you next time mm-hmm.